Welcome to Leadosophy, folks, friends, friends of the show. Subscribe if you like this show today. If not, no big deal. Hope you enjoyed. I'm grateful for your time. Today's show is going to be interesting. I'm going to try to defend the thesis that leadership is either dead or leadership is simply a myth. I don't know how easy it's going to be to defend this idea, this concept. I'm going to use a reading out of the Bernard Bass Leadership Handbook. You see a picture up on the screen. All right, hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution. You are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, friends, welcome back to Leadosophy. You're here with an open mind because that is the rule and not the exception. This isn't the first time that I've I've had this book on the show. And if you're just listening and not watching. This is the Bass Handbook of Leadership Theory, Research, and Managerial Applications. This is the fourth edition. It's quite dense, about 1,200 pages. But you must remember that leadosophy is both practice and theory. It's not just a practical practical application of leadership. It's also theoretical and exploring the differences between the theoretical side of, of leadership and, and practice. Do they match up? Do they align? Is there overlap? Or is what we read in theory, leadership theory, does it not square on the battlefield in the actual practice or the application of leadership theories? For example, some might say that Empowering others is a good thing. We ought to empower others. That's a normative theoretical statement. Well, in, in practice, does that work? When you empower others, do you get results in the world of leadership and followership? I think there are times when that works, and I think there are times when that does not work. So sometimes you get overlap between theory and practice, and sometimes you don't. Today's show is again, if you're watching, you can see up the screen, I have just a, a page excerpt from Bass's, Bass's book on leadership. And what we're going to talk about today is the idea that leadership is a figment of the imagination. It's not real. We have made leadership up. The idea, the concept of leadership, we have just made up. Which to that I say if I'm going to defend this idea that leadership is a myth, or at, at best leadership is dead or has, has died, then I would say there's a lot of things as humans we have made up, a lot of concepts we didn't have words for at one point in time in human history. Right? So I think I'm already limited here on trying to defend this idea that leadership is, is a figment of the imagination. Maybe it is. It's also, to me, it's kind of paradoxical that if we're talking about leadership, 
then it's obviously not a figment of the imagination because we are discussing it here. And I'm going to read some some paragraphs out of here, out of this, out of Bass's handbook, that when I start reading what these authors are talking about or the arguments against leadership being real, you're going to see that they're talking about leadership as if it actually is a thing, maybe just not as powerful as, as we want to admit or we want leadership to be. So I'm going to start off with this. I'm quoting the book. Some critics have argued that all the effects of leadership are a romantic fiction, is existing only in the eye of the beholder. Followers attribute to leadership effects that in fact are due to historical, economic, or social forces. So I'm going to go through, read some stuff. I'm going to give some analysis on it. I'm going to see if I can try to make sense of what they're talking about. And again, this is all very theoretical. So this is kind of a geeky nerd leadership show, but that's okay. But I want to talk about a, a little story. So I was doing an interview with one of my really good friends a couple days ago. And that show should be coming out here in a few days. He's a, he's a chief warrant officer in the U.S. Coast Guard. And we served together in the Coast Guard in our early to mid years of the Coast Guard. So I'm talking late 90s, early 2000s. We were both in the Coast Guard between three to seven, eight, nine years. Very early on in our careers. We were very junior up to mid-level managers. And when I started my interview with, with Kevin, the first thing I told him was our first few years in the Coast Guard, and I've said this before, in the Coast Guard, you're often, you're often placed in a position of leadership very early in your career because the Coast Guard's so small. And you often have so many roles and responsibilities that you're, you have to do. They're much different. Technically, in my, my rating, my mode of specialty MOS, I think they call it in, in other branches of the service. My rating as a bosun mate was one of a lot of different job skills, not just search and rescue, but all kinds of different things. Boat maintenance, all kinds of, all kinds of different aspects, sanding, painting, ships, things like that. Early on in your career, you often have multiple people that are placed under your leadership, your responsibility. And this was the case within the first year and a half of my of me being in the Coast Guard. I was responsible for the well-being of 10, 12, 14 people. Not always common in your first year or so on a job of any job. But what I Kevin and I talked about is in the first five, six, seven years of my Coast Guard career, I don't ever remember deliberately thinking about leadership, whether theory or practice. It was just something, I guess I was immersed or caught up in the moment of being in a position of leadership, but never really saw myself as a leader. And if I did, I don't remember anything like that. I don't remember reading leadership books, having training on leadership, we just didn't get that in the Coast Guard in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. I don't know what they're doing now. 
maybe they are doing leadership training for junior members. I still don't think so, but maybe they are. So anyways, if you would have told me in the year 2000 that there's no such thing as leadership, when I was actively in a leadership role, I might have agreed with you because I don't know what that would have changed. So there's Leadosophy's first thought on the thesis that leadership is a figment of the imagination. Okay, what does it change? People are still going to go into their day-to-day jobs. They're still going to try to achieve the mission, achieve the goal, either by themselves or collectively as a group. They're going to write new corporate visions. They're going to help solve problems. They're going to try to put the right members of the team together to work on project X, Y, or Z. They're going to remove members because they're not effective. You can do all of this without even talking about leadership. So if you told me leadership is a figment of the imagination, I'll say, okay, so what? What does it matter? Now, what are the ramifications of saying leadership is dead or leadership is a myth? Okay, so I challenge anyone to go in for a job interview and potentially this is a position for maybe this is a management position, this is a position of leadership, and you sit down for this job interview, it's going swimmingly, you're super confident, you feel like you're knocking it out of the park, and they ask you, one of the corporate folk, one of the bureaucrats, asks you, what are your leadership qualities? What's What leadership qualities will set you apart from the other X amount of interviewees that they've already interviewed. They think they've already chosen the right candidate. You're just kind of an after the fact. They liked your resume. You have one chance to impress them. What leadership qualities do you bring to the table, Tim? And I say, leadership is dead. There's no such thing as leadership. It's a figment of the imagination. It's a chimera. Chimera. Chimera is a a Greek mythological beast. There's no such thing as leadership, I tell them. It's just a fantasy that we made up. You think I'm going to get the job? Probably not. So there's some real impact of saying leadership is a myth. I don't know if we want to, we want to take that into an interview. The scholars of leadership, the professors of leadership development programs, organizational leadership programs, like one I graduated from Gonzaga, probably don't want to admit that leadership is a myth. There's no such thing. Probably wouldn't be good for their their professorships. What about the authors of leadership books? Probably don't want to admit that there's no such thing as leadership. I mean, there's thousands of leadership books. If you go to Amazon and type in leadership, ugh. Man, it is almost grotesque how many leadership books there are. And I say that not because I hate leadership books. It's just how do you cut through the noise of leadership books? And again, I think my Bass Handbook of Leadership is an exception to that. I think there's a a lot of gold nuggets in the Bass Handbook of Leadership. I've said this on another show. The reason why I like the Bass Handbook of Leadership so much 
is it blends the practical with the theoretical because it brings in a lot of different studies over the course of 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Anyways. All right, so I want to go on and read. a. Those are just a few of my initial thoughts on the thesis, the argument that leadership is a figment of the imagination. I want to go on and read some more from Bass. Critics such as, and again, I'm reading here, critics such as Pandy, 1976, have regarded the concept of leadership as useless for understanding social influence. And I want to stop right there before I continue. So there, for me, they're almost taking these two terms, social influence, and I think substituting that for leadership. Are you okay with that? Could you remove leadership and use the synonym social influence? Can you say leadership is social influence? I think a lot of times that might work. Again, I don't know what it changes. I'm trying to work through that. Remember, leadosophy is about deepening our understanding. I'm not trying to find a truth here. I'm trying to deepen my understanding of what these authors are talking about. The studies that Bass, or Bass is referencing here, these authors. I'm going to continue. Calder, 1977, argued that the objective contributions of the leader to outcomes were possibly more interesting than true. Some critics attributed organizational outcomes primarily to other factors, but held that after the fact, leaders were credited with what happened. Organizational leaders who were perceived to be exerting leadership on organizational performance were merely the subjects of misperceptions. That is, organizational outcomes were objectively determined by environmental and organizational factors in which leadership at best could play only a minor role. Now, Lidosophy is intrigued by this this idea that as a leader or a position in a, a person in a position of leadership, outcomes were objectively determined, or I'll go one step further and say maybe predetermined, regardless of what you or I may have done as a leader or as a social influencer is what they, they like to, to, to use in, in, in its stead here. We're social influencers here. We're not leaders. So if you are a person in a position of social influence, again, I almost see a, a contradiction. If you're a social influencer, by definition, it seems like you might be able to affect an outcome, especially of social influence, influences, external influences, right? Now, I would... I would say, I, w I think I can go back in my career in, in, a, in a position of leadership and say that there were definitely times that it didn't really matter what I did or say or said. The outcome was probably predetermined, especially if it was something that was a decision or an action or a course or direction that I was told to go by, a, by someone above me, by the organization. They directed me which, which way to go. And in turn, I had to direct the people around me to go in the same direction. I had no choice in the matter. 
in in that respect, for me, I may not have been able to exert any influence. I may have had little influence. But from a social influence, I guess, I guess from a social influence perspective, I think I did have a role maybe in the messaging. How to soften the message if it was a if it was a decision or something that was going to be impactful in a negative way. Maybe I had a way of socially damp tampering the, the message to make it more, you know, maybe hurt less. So again, I am exerting some influence. I am exerting some, I would say leadership, but maybe not, right? I'm going to continue on with this, this idea that leadership is just a figment of the imagination. Again, just working on some thoughts here out loud. Okay. MC Brown, 1982, concluded that once other factors influencing effectiveness are accounted for, it is likely that leadership will have little bearing on organizational performance. And again, that's what I was just talking about. That little, having little bearing does not mean having no bearing, though. Here's the difference. Having little bearing, you are saying now that leadership is a thing. You're just saying that my impact is going to be minor. But you are still admitting that leadership is a thing. So leadership can be a figment of the imagination. And simultaneously, leadership has, has a minor impact. Does that make sense? Pfeffer, this is probably the, the most interesting uh, nuggets that the Bass talks about. The Pfeffer 1977 paper that he wrote, or the article he wrote. Pfeffer 1977 took a similar but less extreme position, which I like because I think it's a little easier to defend the the less extreme positions. He writes, quote, leadership is a sense-making heuristic to account for organizational performance and is important primarily for its symbolic role in organizations. Leaders are selected or self-selected to fulfill the fate of the organization and are highly constrained by organizational and external factors. Therefore, compared with external factors, they can have only a limited impact on organizational outcomes. Leaders are able only to react to contingencies, to facilitate the adjustment of the organization in its context, and to alter the environment to some limited extent. Also, they have no control over many factors that affect organizational performances. Typically, they have unilateral control over a few resources. Leadosophy can get behind this a little more, especially in the military world. I hate to break it to many people who are really high on military leadership. And again, I was in the military for a long time. I believe in military leadership. However, there is a lot of big talk about the the epic military leadership. However, military leaders are highly constrained. That's just a fact of real. That's just a, 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 a real fact of military leadership. The military likes to talk about empowerment and autonomy and innovation, but quite frankly, it's not an organization that's really conducive to, to a lot of that in some respects. Again, in my, in my world, in the Coast Guard, when I was in this world, search and rescue, you are empowered a lot of times in different mission sets. 
in different contextual situations. However, the military is, is very mission objective oriented. The stream flows one direction. There's only so much tolerance for creating waves, for being the squeaky wheel. The military, at least in the branch I served in, does not like a lot of wave creation. Again, doesn't like a lot of complaining, saying something isn't right. Now, if there's safety issues, I think some of the some senior leaders are willing to hear that. But again, I think it's not always the rule; rather, it's the the exception. Again, this is my experience. I'm just talking about my experience. You only have your latitude is only so wide, right? Stay in your lane for the most part. You are constrained by resources. You are constrained by your environmental by your environmental uh, influences, and you only have impact up to a point. This is military leadership, in my experience. But again, doesn't mean that leadership is there's no such thing as leadership. Now, I think from from my my experiences as a military leader, I had more impact. It's smaller levels. Kind of, we talk about, I talk about sphere of influence. If you're in a position of leadership, what's your sphere of influence? Is it the entire organization? Is it your department? Or is it a team of three or four? I think whatever your sphere of influence might may be, I think those are the constraints upon which you're working within. That's the impact you can have within that sphere. So I think as far as leadership being a symbolic role, I think, again, it's contextual. I think it depends on what the organization is, whether it's a military organization, a civilian organization, a nonprofit, for-profit, whatever it is. Are you in a position of leadership just because they need someone in this position? I don't know. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to end with one last paragraph here. The same study, Pfeffer, 1977, concluded that since people want to feel they are in control of their environment, they find it useful to attribute their, attribute their group and organizational performance to leaders rather than to the complex internal and external environmental forces that actually are most important. Support for the idea that leadership is a fiction was the evidence that would-be followers subordinates and groups of employees are so constrained by technology, rules, job requirements, and organizational policies that there is little discretionary room for a superior or leader to make much of a difference in how things get done. Subordinates may have much more effect on the behavior of their superiors than vice versa. So there you go. Again, constraints. We are all, we are all under certain constraints. As my wife always says, everyone has a boss. And this just holds, even if you're the CEO of a company, you have a board of directors. Uh, it's just just the nature of the beast, right? Always going to be constraints. Can we defend the thesis that leadership is a figment of the imagination? I don't think so. I think it's kind of fun trying to. What I do like about talking about this is there's a few reasons why I wanted to do this episode. 
It's a great thought experiment, number one. Philosophy is all about thought experiments. And to try to think about leadership not being a real thing, it makes you think about leadership a little different. And what I like about this, it kind of made me, as I was reading this before, like before the show, and I've been wanting to do the show for a few weeks now, it makes, it makes me want to try to dig into the essence of leadership, pull it apart. What are the characteristics, right? When we're talking about leadership, we are naming leadership, which is not always a good thing because we are saying what leadership is when maybe we need to take a step back and try to understand it more before trying to name it, to label leadership. Because I feel like once we label leadership from a philosophical thought perspective, maybe it makes our mind more rigid to change. We're not as open, right? So again, I like this because I think it helps us deepen our understanding of leadership. And I like the two, the two polar ends of, of this idea of leadership is dead or a myth, but the other polar opposite side that leadership is some grand heroic thing which I totally am not a fan of because it kind of makes leadership this lofty, lofty thing, lofty position that maybe some people think they can't achieve it because we have built leadership up to be such a huge thing when it's not, right? I talk about the, the nuts and bolts of leadership, the grind, the everyday. That's what leadership is 99% of the time. It's helping John or, or Susie, you know, accomplish a goal, at work, or putting the team together, failing, trial, trial and error, making a terrible decision and getting called out on it by your boss when you thought you were doing something good for people around you, right? That's, that's the normal day-to-day leadership. So, and then one of the last reasons I really like this, I like taking the influence, I, I like removing some of the nostalgia of leadership because I think it puts more emphasis on the organic side of leadership, right? The teams that just form naturally to work on a project, no one is specifically designated a leader and based on different parts of the project or different along the different timeline of the project, different different team members stand up and take charge because they're good at this or they're good at that. And this is completely different than the teams that are forced to work together. And then they may even hate working together. So I like talking about leadership as a myth because it focuses more on the organic side of of leadership. The teams that are working together and they don't even talk about who's the leader. Leadership is never even brought up. You know what? Probably those are the most effective teams. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Did I defend the thesis that leadership is a myth? Uh, I don't think I did it very well. Hope you enjoyed this show. Remember, leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and of life. And of life. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching this episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button. And check out Leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.